Hello, everyone, and welcome to King's Talk presented by Capsity Crown. This is Tony. With me, as always, we have John. Since the last time we've talked, the Kings have played three games with zero wins. De'Aaron Fox is still out with an ankle injury. His timetable for return is hopefully soon, but we haven't heard anything as of this moment. Um, in those three losses, the Kings just seem to have gotten worse and worse with each passing game. John, no Fox, no wins. Man, is it time to panic a little, you think, here in SAC? Well, I think the one thing that probably prevents complete panic is that this is six games in, and it's not like March. But we saw De'Aaron Fox go down with the injury based on what he's saying, based on the fact that he hasn't played these last three games, based on the fact that it doesn't necessarily seem all that likely he'll play on Wednesday against Portland. You know, they're not rushing him back, and nor should they. Again, it's early. But a lot of that has to do with the trust in the depth of the roster to handle things, but they have not held down the fort at all. They did a really good job against Golden State to defend. You know, the offense wasn't there. It really felt like one of those games where it's like, hmm, sometimes that happens. Sometimes you miss shots. Keegan Murray goes 0-7. They lost by one point. DeMontis Sabonis missed a couple free throws. You know, there's stuff to kind of grasp onto there in terms of frustration, but you know, you can kind of live with that loss just because of the, the way they played defensively. But the two games against Houston, I mean, Mike Brown was noting their body language kind of dipping, the fact that their spirit was deflated. They were just ghastly on both ends. And by midway through that second game, when it was essentially over, it just felt like they'd reached the lowest of the low that you could, I couldn't even imagine. Just stagnant offense, not doing anything, no ball movement, no player movement. And then defensively, just like almost kind of just giving up. Mike Brown was just talking about how much they're reaching which is kind of the biggest indication of just kind of lazy defense and not playing together on a string. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, I think it is fair to panic a little bit because even some of the best teams in the league manage to at least, you know, they're not overwhelmingly winning records, but they still find ways to win without their best player. So to go 0-3 without Fox, to see the offensive rating, which in the first three games was sixth in the league, drop down to 20th over the last three, and the defensive rating's gone up marginally in terms of standings. But I think the Warriors game had a lot to do with that. You know, it's just like, this is a completely different team without Fox. They don't seem to have much belief in themselves. And they, they don't seem to be playing the right way at all. And in fact, they keep seeming to kind of regress, if anything. So, yeah, I think it's time to panic a little bit. I don't know if panic's necessarily the right word, though, just because it is so early. But to be extremely worried and to have questions, whether about it's about the players, whether it's about the coaching philosophy, whatever it is, I think that's warranted for sure. I mean, how are you feeling? Those were particularly those Houston games, you know, that 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 was some of the most ugly basketball that I've watched in recent <laughs> memory, especially since Mike Brown's taken over. That was just made me sick. It was nauseating. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird because we were like ending the podcast last week and we're like, yeah, you know, like this is the perfect time for Fox to get hurt. You're going up against the Rockets twice in Portland. And man, like you go into Houston, you're feeling good. I mean, we had a back to back against Houston last year, uh, I think around January, and we just like absolutely like demolished them. We did have both Fox's bonus for those games, but I kind of felt like going into this series and it's like perfect, like good little break for Fox. We should take care of them. Saturday's game was definitely disappointing, frustrating, and like you shouldn't be losing to a Houston team like that. 
but it's like, okay, like you have a chance to get it right back at them on Monday. And they just looked even worse. I mean, the worst game I've watched them play since Brown took over. Maybe, I don't know. I think there was a Pelicans game last year. That was pretty bad too. But I mean, they gave up. It felt like, so I gave up on them too. I, I did not watch a, a minute of basketball past the, the first half because you could kind of just see where that game was headed. And it was something I didn't want to be a part of. Is it time to panic? Yeah, I think panic's maybe not the right word. But like you said, I mean, good teams, regardless if they have their star player or not, or and it's not like the Kings only have one star player. So bonus has to step up. They, they still find ways to win, and they haven't at all, and they've seemed to do the opposite. It, it makes you question the depth a lot now. Do you think this team would be really good without Fox still? Not really good, but enough to beat the Rockets at least once. And so, you know, it makes you question about Sabonis too. Like I was, I always had the Sabonis back and stuff since the playoffs and maybe I'm over-exaggerating now, but four shot attempts on Monday night against Shangun, you'd expect your, your other all-star to actually really try to take over, get some shots up himself. I mean, he's not a bad scorer. Yeah. He might be a pass first guy, but He's averaged, I think, I think one season with the Pacers or maybe a couple. He averaged over 20 points a game. So it's like, dude, like score the rock. Like when we need the rock scored and, and not just on Sabonis. I mean, everyone looks so bad. Barnes, that's another guy we'll probably talk about more later. But like after that first game, it's just like, man, it, he just kind of just like disappears. Really? Like what, what are you doing? Like, I, I don't know. It's so frustrating. So I, I the only reason I'd panic is the depth, really. I, I'm not panicking over this team. I think Fox will come back and kind of get us back on the right track. But, I mean, what happens when Fox has an off game? Like, is, is no one just going to step up for him? So, I don't know. That's just going to increase the load on Fox at this point. They they have to figure it out. You know, that's going to be Brown's job, too. But, no, oh man, these last three games have been super disappointing. I think one of the things about teams winning without their best player is that the team sticks to a particular brand of basketball. They know that 20 to 30 points, you know, depending on the player, is going to be gone, but they still stick to a specific brand of basketball and give themselves a chance to win. And watching those two games in Houston, what brand of basketball is Kings basketball? If you didn't know that they try to play fast and physically, you'd have no idea that that's their quote-unquote supposed identity. And... That I think is the most like panic worthy thing is it's like, is there an identity crisis here? I don't know if there's an identity crisis because again, I think they know what their identity should be, but in meeting the standards of that identity, they're they look lost. So I mean, before there's any optimism that returns to the situation, optimism excluding Fox, they really got to show it first because there's no reason to be optimistic about the Foxless Kings right now because uh, they look. They look horrible. Yeah, I don't know. Where where do you think they can go from here with, I mean, like the Foxless team, right? Like, where, where do you go from that? And like, does stuff need to improve with that? But also it's like, you know, like this isn't a team that's going to succeed without Fox. So like, how much does that matter? Because they were winning with Fox when he was there, you know? But without him, they look like, you know, garbage. I mean, the Golden State game, not so much, but. I mean, how big is this issue as well? Because like I said, like the Kings, like without Fox, like you take out Fox, like what are, what are your hopes for the season? I mean, the team is built around him pretty heavily. It just comes down to defense. I mean, it's all about the defense, you know? I mean, if Fox is there or not, you got, you got to defend. And then without Fox, I mean, you're missing 30 points a game there. 
you have to defend. And that, that's all I can say. And that, that kind of, I guess, just brings us to the other point, which is Mike Brown wants this team to be super solid defensively. You've seen him be hard on guys, challenge guys. You've seen practice videos leak of him chewing guys out and having this really kind of, inf- you know, fiery focus on the defensive end that seems totally upgraded. Now, granted, I don't think there were a lot of leaked videos of practice last season, but I think before the first game of the season, the reporters caught wind of a Mike Brown kind of chew out session that they hadn't heard before. And there were a lot of them asking questions and talking about that. So there's like an added emphasis there, but is it sustainable to expect them to keep that with an added defensive emphasis? I mean, we've talked about it a lot. Mike Brown was saying it in reference to Kevin Herter and others in training camp when he was struggling, you know, the defensive struggles were a pretty big topic, but, you know, kind of adding into it was the fact that he was, his shooting was off. And you heard Mike Brown say, well, it's like when you're adding that added emphasis on defense, it changes the offense. It changes the level of difficulty of shots. Usually ones that you hit are harder to hit and all that. And I think you've heard a couple other players kind of comment on that as well. And it does kind of raise the question where it's like, you know, maybe they can get to that to that level. And yeah, it's good to face this adversity early. But a lot of people are asking whether or not that's even sustainable, if that's like screwing with things. I mean, do you think that it's sustainable to have such a focus on the, the defensive end and just kind of expect the offense to kind of keep going? Because it's like if you get up to a mid-level defensive team, in terms of defensive rankings, but then you knock yourself down offensively to a mid-level offensive team. Are you getting better? I think adding defense will take them to that next level, right? Into not just like a playoff team, but a championship contending team. But you, I don't know. It's kind of weird because like I, you want them to be better defensively, but you don't want them to lose too much offensively. That's a, just such a big part of their identity and what makes them what has made them a good team. And just switching that up so much, it can just be detrimental. I remember when um, Jaeger had the uh, the Kings. He had that good year. And our, our friend Dan Smith brought this up too. If you want to go check out his comments on our site, he's always reading and commenting. Uh, he brought up the scores, the 18-19 Sacramento Kings team coached by Jaeger. And they were just, you know, a very high-paced team. I think they led the league in pace, scored a lot. I mean, they're nicknamed the scorers for a reason. And then, and then they fire Jaeger and bring in Walton, and Walton slowed down the pace and wanted to focus more on defense, which is, you know, not a bad idea. But, I mean, I don't know. Sometimes you just have to you have to chip at it a little instead of just going, like, full force into it. Like, once you just go from an offensive to a defensive team, I mean, you're just changing up the, the team's whole identity and what they're used to and, you're just taking away what made them succeed, right? So, I don't know. I, I I get the emphasis on wanting to be good at defense, and like I want that too. But if it's I don't know if it's too much, then maybe tone it back a little and let that offense do the work. And then, like I said, maybe chip at the defense little by little, you know, just to get that offense, you know, keep that offense as a high power machine as it is and what we've seen it be. Yeah, I have a lot of sympathy for that argument. I mean. When you think about the Warriors and when Steve Kerr took over, I mean, they were already pretty solid defensively. I mean, they had Andre Godala. They had, you know, Mark Jackson laying the groundwork there. He started with defense. There there wasn't as much of a jump to make defensively, I guess is what I'm saying. So I think it's it's fair to, to bring up that it's like, 
you know, maybe you are trying to reach something that's unachievable given this roster, but you saw it in the playoffs. It's like, and, and Mike Brown said this a lot. It's like, it's a make or miss league. You're going to have games where you miss shots, but again, what will always keep you in games. And you saw this with the Warriors. You've seen this with other good teams in the league. What always keeps you in games is defense. So it's like, it's hard to be like, well, no, they should just kind of like not worry too much about it. Cause it's just like, if you do that, then it's like, you're kind of just residing in being a playoff team that doesn't really ever make any deep runs. You know, you're, you're kind of like resting on that and kind of being okay with that. Mm-hmm. You do kind of have to swing for the fences to, to be a championship team in this league. And, you know, they, they have the players to pull that. I don't think the roster is necessarily set to be defensive right now, but they definitely have the potential to be that while still also having a great offense. You kind of have to take that chance in my mind, you know? And also it's just like, I mean, to make Fox the model and the saint that he kind of is on this team, it's just like he's really embraced the two-way role, you know, extremely well. Obviously you'd like to see a full season from him and see how that kind of works out. But if anybody's been passing with flying colors in terms of performing on both ends of the floor throughout a game, it's him. And it's just like, I mean, you can get it out of guys. I mean, Fox is a really special player. He's a really special athlete. He has kind of a leg up on a lot of people in regards to both ends of the floor. I mean, you 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 have to try to get that out of the guys. But I mean, it is, it is screwing with things because this team used to play with a sense of pace both in the full and half court that you just saw completely, you saw the wheels fall off in that regard, you know, in these last two games. There's just so much, they were pressing on both ends of the floor and all of a sudden it just felt like, you know, everything just came apart. So, I mean, it's just, a, it's, a, it's a weird balance that you have to mix out. And I think there's a lot for Mike Brown to think about there because, again, it's weird without Fox because you'd, you'd, you'd like to maybe see them with Fox because I would imagine they'd play a lot better on both ends if Fox was there. But, I mean, what you saw in Houston is just like that's a team that just that, that can't necessarily handle that load. And that's that's like 99% of the team right there. Yeah. Know? Well, I and mean. 12 out of 14 guys. Exactly. Wild, obviously. And, I, and you, you said something earlier. Like, is this team, is this roster cut out to be that defensive, you know, a top 15 defensive team? Like, are they cut out to be that regardless? I mean. I mean, you brought up the Warriors and stuff, and like, yeah, they had the the groundwork laid by Jackson beforehand. But I mean, the Warriors also had you know good defensive players that I don't know if anyone can live up to on the Kings. I mean, you, they had Clay Thompson, they had Andre Iguodala, they had Draymond Green, they had Andrew Bogut. I mean, those are all defensive minded players. I don't think the Kings have anyone like that. I mean, <clears throat> who's the Kings' best two way player other than Fox? And even Fox, like, I don't think I don't. I don't think a lot of people are calling him a two-way player in this league. Like I, you'd want to say Davion, but he's not. I mean, he's just defensive. He's been awful, and we'll probably talk about him <laughs> more later. But I mean, I don't see anyone bringing it on both sides like a two-way player does. I mean, Barnes is always kind of like that guy we'd always bring up. Or and when I say we, I mean just Kings fans in general. He was like solid on offense. He was solid on defense. But I mean. Sometimes I I question myself. I'm like, is Barnes really that good? I just don't think the Kings have those defensive players. And I think that's just something that's that's going to be a personnel issue, really. I mean, Herder ain't it. We saw that last year. We're kind of seeing it this year. 
Murray, I think Murray has the um, the capability of being it. He's still young, so I'll give him a pass. Fox has it. I, even Sabonis, I think Sabonis is an underrated defender, like we've talked about a lot on this podcast right? in in Cap City Crown in general. But shoot, other than that, I mean, I don't see anyone bringing it on both ends like like a two way player would. Yeah, I mean, I'd say probably the only other real true two-way player outside of Fox is Chris Duarte. And uh, yes, yeah, that's I, true. I don't know, I don't know what's been going on with Chris Duarte over the last two games, but he's looked a little off. And you know, there's still a lot of questions about his outside shooting. But when you're talking about the ninth man in your rotation. You know, the other guy I'm about to bring up could be a two-way player, but could, kind of falls under the same thing as Keegan Murray in terms of being young and inexperienced. But like Keon Ellis is a guy that I think has played his way into some opportunities in the coming games. But again, now you're, you're not talking about a, one of your top five best players being a two-way player, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like what you said about Barnes. It's like, well, Barnes can be good on both ends, but you're going to get that every night. And Sabonis is, I think, in a, a slightly above average defender in terms of positioning and fundamentals of going up vertically. He does really well, but... There's an athletic deficiency that, like a lot of guys, is. I mean, I don't even. I mean, I like Domas's defense, but I'm almost hesitant to even call him a two-way player. And it seemed like you were a little hesitant as well. And it's just like that's a good point. I mean, not having a Draymond Green and an Andre Iguodala, guys that are long that can guard multiple positions, that's a that's a huge huge hole. If you're talking about trying to to replicate or at least imitate something that was done. I mean, that is a huge personnel hole. So yeah, I mean, again, it's like about finding that balance because I I don't think Mike Brown should let up on defense. I don't think anybody's necessarily saying that, but it's like, you do have to realize what you're working with here and you might not have the roster to, to do that. But I mean, again, it's like the, the defensive standard that Mike Brown wants to bring. He said it a few times. It's like, if you can be that top offense and be a pretty mid-level defensive team, you can compete. And so it's just like, is Mike Brown pressing too hard on things just to try to make them an average defensive team? I mean, these are all sorts of questions that are not our job to answer. I mean, that's my up to Mike Brown at this point. But yeah, I think the, the high standard on top of what seems to be lacking personnel-wise, that, that's a huge wall in terms of getting to the place they want to be. So... I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't know if Mike Brown's philosophy is, is is wrong or if it shouldn't be that way, but the route to getting there, it, he might be hitting the gas a little too hard. It might be a more it might be a steeper hill than he maybe is thinking. I mean, in terms of the roster and whatnot. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think you said it. I think it is a little steeper of a hill than he thought it would be to climb. And, and who knows? I mean, I, I don't know. It, it's so early on in the season. And like you said earlier, I mean, maybe pressing it now will pay off in dividends later. I mean, defense wins championships. If the Kings want to be taken as a serious contender, they're going to have to bring it on the defense in the playoffs, especially. So, I mean, it is a pressing issue. So it's just weird because uh, it's like it, it needs to be a focus. But I don't know. I guess maybe it's the time and energy put into it and, and the ways to go about it. Because you can't take away from their offense the the thing that actually wins them games at the moment. You can't just go deep. You, like, kind of like I said with Jaeger and Walton, you can't go from a high pace scoring team straight to a defensive team, a slow paced defensive team. And the Kings aren't doing that necessarily, but 
like you said, I mean, it takes effort on both ends. If you're taking, you're putting more effort into one end, you're taking effort away from the other end. Yeah. Mike Brown spent the first half of his opening remarks after the second Houston game. He was, he was noting the deflated heart and spirit and all that stuff and all this stuff. But then he quickly pivoted to the fact that the summer league team plus Alex Len, which was basically just Jordan Ford, Keon Ellis, Colby Jones, Kessler Edwards, and Alex Len played really well and played the right way. And, you know, it seemed like he was somewhat happy that the spirit of the team and, and, and the style of the team still lived on and was able to surface in the fourth quarter. They won that quarter 37 to 25. Didn't matter with the margin on the scoreboard, but it was something to clutch on to. And, you know, Mike Brown said something of the sort like, you know, if you're playing the right way, you know, then I got to play you. And the question of changes got brought up and whatnot. And, you know, we're talking about a few guys as the podcast goes on here that have been missing or not doing certain things through these three games, but through these last two in particular. And it's just like we talk about the depth of this team. We've talked, you know, through training camp about the fact that like different roles might shift and everything's fluid and whatnot. And a deep team kind of affords that ability. So it just seems like it would, wouldn't hurt at all for Mike Brown to shake things up at least a little bit. It doesn't have to be like a major change, but I mean, like what kind of changes do you think he should make? I mean, should it be something like, you know, well, when Fox is out, they should start Monk or should it be something like, well, Keon Ellis should be in the rotation or there should be a change at this rotational spot. I mean, what, what's your sense? I mean, what's, cause it seems like it would be very silly to be, to not change things up, to kind of just sit on this and be like, yeah, we'll just, we'll see how this works. I mean, something I like to see with Fox out, honestly, it is, I mean, like he's the monks starting wouldn't be a terrible move. Get some more offense in there right off the bat. But you know, it's something like, I, I think that needs to be pressed a little more is Sabonis. I mean, you're the, like you're the other star on this team, dude. Like he's a decent enough scorer. I want to see him like, yeah, he's a good, he's a great shot creator, but I really want to see him like, score the ball and like make you know drop plays for Sabonis maybe not draw him up but just like let him work in the post and have that be a bigger part of the game plan like I said four shot attempts against the Rockets I mean that's just unacceptable I I know I I know he hasn't he has what it takes to score 25 a game if that's what he wanted to do and I think once Fox is out he needs to pick up that scoring load because I I honestly don't think anyone else on the team is going to do it or has the capability that he does like when Fox is out, Sabonis honestly, honestly should be averaging twenty five points a game. I, I I think that's that's the bottom line in my opinion. I think that's the biggest issue is that no one is stepping up in Fox's absence, and the one guy who actually can, and maybe then of course he's not as good as a scorer as Fox is, but I mean he's right up there. He's your other all star. He he needs to put more of the scoring load on his back. Yeah, I think to heighten that point, think about well, first of all, he had you know, Alperine Shengun guarding him. And I think there was one play in that second Houston game where he totally just put his shoulder into his chest, not a foul, bumped Shengun off. Clearly Sabonis is stronger than Shengun and, you know, ended up, I think with the dunk and, or maybe a layup, which I think was one of his three field goal makes. And it's just like, oh, you have a bit of a physical advantage on Shengun. And Shengun had some moments where he did guard Sabonis well, but, you know, I mean, Sabonis is an all NBA player and Shangun is still a young guy. You got to take him to school. You at least try to. And I think another thing, too, is the fact that 
the Kings had two 24 second shot clock violations. And I think they had two or three more. They almost had two or three more, you know, where it just seemed like they put up a last second heave, you know, and, and, and it just, the Houston Rockets did a really good job of winding down that shot clock and whatnot. And that's Sabonis time because Sabonis, when he does do his work down low, he goes through his reads, you know, a DHO here, a cut there, another cut over here. He reads it. And then when there's nothing there, like a running quarterback, he takes off. And you didn't really see that. You, and you saw so much swinging around the perimeter and guys just not putting up shots. And it's like that right there. That's you, Domas. That you are, again, the other all NBA player here. You got to you got to be able to at least try to do something. You know, and I feel like in that Golden State game, putting that up against particularly the last Houston game, I mean, Sabonis, I think, scored around 20 in that Golden State game. I think 20 on the nose. Yeah. And, I mean, he missed some free throws, but, you know, that was the kind of – I mean, that's the kind of performance you'd expect out of him. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just totally dwindled down into, you know, a half-assed offensive showing. And I know he was trying to do a lot of work on defense. I mean, guys were getting into the paint, and he was forced to help a lot and all that stuff. But it's just like – I mean, you're the you're the guy. I mean, we were talking about it most of the last season that he might be the most important player on the team. And this season, that's just not the case. I mean, Fox is running away with that one and honestly makes the arguments from last season seem so silly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean that and that counts as a change in thing that Mike Brown can shake up is, you know, he's gotta hold Sabonis to that standard. You know, I mean, he's one of the highest paid players. At his position, he's one. Of, he's one of the best at his position, and he's the second best player on this team. And he's, in a lot of ways, the glue. And it's just like you gotta, you gotta be better than that. Yeah, and that's a great point. I mean, one of the highest paid players just got paid out of the ass. You know, I mean, he took a little bit of a discount, sure, but I mean, he's still getting paid millions on millions of dollars. And to throw up eight, eight, and five against the Rockets in an embarrassing loss when your other star players out. It's like, dude, this is when you step up. But it's, yeah. you know, 88 and 5. It's, it's not a guy that, you know, is earning $40 million a year or whatever he makes. Yeah. No, I think that that, that that's that's a really good point. I think the obvious answer to the question, kind of drifting back from Sabonis and going back to the question, uh, I think you got to give Keon Ellis a chance here. Cause, and you got to give a couple of those other guys a chance. And, you know... For one, it's like, do I think Keon Ellis could hold down a rotational role for the whole season? I wouldn't bet on it. You know, he's going to have his setbacks too and whatnot. But there, there was a vibrancy and a hunger within Keon Ellis, within Kessler Edwards, Alex Len. Obviously, these guys that are not getting early, early tread and that are always staying ready and are always going to bring it, and we're a little fresher than everybody else. But I mean, you gotta, you, you gotta go where the energy's at at a certain point, and. So I think a simple change, and I think one that you can kind of expect Brown to do is I wouldn't be surprised if if Keon Ellis gets some first half tread on Wednesday against Portland. But you know I do want to kind of focus in on that that point that people bring up a lot, which is when Fox is out, they should just start Monk at the one, you know. And I think that's I mean you saw you've heard. Mike Brown talk about it. it's like, well, Monk offers such a versatility off the bench. You kind of want to keep him as that six man. That's fair. I think definitely when Fox is there, you, that that argument holds true. But when Fox isn't there, it's a little different. And 
I mean, you even saw it in the second Houston game. He got three early fouls. I think he only played like six minutes in the first half and never really got in a rhythm, could never really do the Malik Monk things that you'd like to see. And we've also talked about how, well, when Fox is aggressive from the start, you see how everything opens up and it makes things easier. And then they can sit down and defend a little bit better. Monk can provide that too. He's the best thing at replicating that. And this pivots to the guy that I also kind of want to focus in on here is I'm not so sure Davion Mitchell, I think I'm not so sure there's a ceiling beyond the place he's at right now offensively because he went what like two of 11 the other night. Yeah. He, he sometimes gets inside, but I think he missed both of his shots inside. I don't think he's getting a lot of assists and you know, if you want to talk about a guy that maybe should be coming off the bench because that's more suited for him. I mean, that you can almost make an argument more for Davion Mitchell than Malik Monk because, I mean, you're missing a lot in terms of the offensive side of being the head of the snake. Davion Mitchell's really been a bit of a letdown. And I think in that Warriors game, it looked really good. I think the Warriors went under two screens early in the game and he hit two threes, or at least they went under on the first one. And it was like, okay, like if he can do that, you know, then you have kind of an offensive threat there that, that can help you set a tone in the game and whatnot. And it's just like, that might be a little overambitious when it comes to Davion Mitchell. Like I said, I mean, there might not be much of a ceiling beyond where he's at right now. And if there is, it might take a while to get there. It might take middle of his career to figure that one out. But I mean, in terms of starting Monk when Fox isn't in, that's not so much well, that's because Monk is the third best player or whatever. That argument doesn't really matter. The point is, is that Davion Mitchell, as a step in at start, at starting at the point guard position, is not cutting it. And this is again just about when Fox is 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 isn't there because I don't I don't think anybody's making the argument that Fox and Monk should start together. As much as that would be fun to watch and whatnot, that would kind of screw with the rotations and stuff. But when Fox isn't there, I mean Davion Mitchell's. I think forcing the hand more than Monk is that Monk should be starting in that situation. Do you agree? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you make a great point. I mean, is, is this Davion Mitchell, the NBA player? Yeah. It's only his what third season now, but I mean, he just really hasn't shown any progression as an NBA player. I mean, a little here and there, but I mean, he's a defensive minded player and he's a great defender, but man, I mean, he's just, he's just lousy on the offensive end. He can't shoot the ball, not the best uh, playmaker, not the best shot creator. He's decent around the rim, I think. I think he has a quick drive. But, I mean, he, I mean, yeah, I don't want him starting anymore. He's looked terrible. I don't know. He's just going to go down as one of those great defenders, but lousy offensive guys. I mean, Tony Allen was the prime example of that, but he actually found a place in the league. Not sure if he would anymore in the way he sh- he shot the ball. He was, he, you know, he's lucky he played in a time where the three wasn't as important as it is today. But, I mean, look at Thibel right now traded around to Portland now. And there's just guys like that. And it seems like Davion is, you know, becoming one of those guys because he can't improve his offensive game. And yeah, like bring in Monk at this point. You'd hope you'd like to bring Monk off the bench when Fox is out, regardless, really. But shoot, when Mitchell is just not really doing much to help and maybe hurting more when he gets to start with Fox out. I mean, even bring on Keon Ellis at this rate. I mean, I'd still personally, I'd like Monk off the bench. I mean, start him or start Colby. Just, I don't know. I guess Mitchell's just going to be that backup point guard. And I don't think he deserves these starting spots anymore, these spot starts. Yeah. 
has really, really not looked great. And again, it's like I saw it in the preseason. I felt like he got blocked a few times inside. I think the book's out on him. Just force him to shoot. And, I mean, he's uh, he's shooting 30% from three this season. I kind of expect that to be kind of the standard. Maybe he kicks it up to 31%, 32%. But I don't know. It's just if you're losing Fox, you know, Damian Mitchell does so many things that you'd like to see from a point guard in terms of, you know, he has a comfort with the team. He sets a standard on defense. But, I mean, the offense just – there's, there's no way you can replicate what Fox does by starting Davion Mitchell, especially in comparison to starting Malik Monk. And also, it's like if you want Malik Monk to be better on the defensive end of the floor, as we'd all like to see, I mean, he's another one of those guys that defensively, especially over these last two games, it's like his foul trouble, his inability to stay in front of certain guys, that becomes an issue. But maybe starting him, giving him that prominent opportunity will allow him to focus and step up a little bit more on that end. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's a little bit of a shot in the dark there, but you got to do something. And there's, you know, you start Monk in that overtime period without Fox against the Lakers. Like you're not going to start, you're not fooling anybody and starting Davion Mitchell without Monk being out there. You know, I mean, why do that from the beginning of the game? You know? Yeah. It's just like, that's a good point. It's the next man up mentality and the best way to, be the next man up behind Fox. I mean, the only guy that can even replicate that granted, it's really only on one end is Malik Monk. And that's just been proven time and time again. So that's almost a no brainer. It feels like, I don't know how much longer they're going to be without Fox. It might just be one more game. I don't know. Maybe he plays on Wednesday, although it doesn't really necessarily seem like he will at this point on Tuesday, but yeah, that might be something to at least help stop the bleeding because there's a bit of a hemorrhage here with these three straight losses, despite it being early they have to make some kind of a change and that might be the type of change that they have to make. But yeah, there's a lot of focus on Davion there for that reason. Again, I feel like Davion pushes that question up more than Monk does. So yeah, I agree. A lot to consider about Davion Mitchell, but another guy we've been talking about in the starting lineup is Harrison Barnes and Harrison Barnes had a great game in Utah. October 25th had a great first first half. half. Yes. It's important to note. And, uh, you know, he's shooting a decent clip from three, if I'm not mistaken, you know, and just kind of like catch and shoot and spot up situations. But yeah, he has looked kind of like, you know, the shooting's a little bit better than, than this, but he, he kind of is returning to that playoff invisibility cloak. Harrison Barnes, where he's just not out there, even though he's out there. You know what I mean? And I think he's had a lot of games here, whether Fox has been here or not, you know, where he's only had, I think it was the LA game, the second Golden State game, and then this last game against Houston, where he only had one trip to the free throw line. And one of the things that I would often say last season, even before he started shooting the three, because it took him a while to start hitting the three, I think it took him till about late November, early December for his threes to start falling last season. One of the things that was really his saving grace and the things worth defending him on was the fact that when the offense gets out of whack, Harrison Barnes can settle things down and get to the line. But one of the things is, is you've seen the offense get really out of whack in Houston, particularly in that second game. And I think there were a few instances where Barnes did try to get to the line, but he kind of did that thing where he dribbled into nowhere and then nothing happened. 
And he only had that one trip to the line, only got fouled once. And it's just like, that's the time where you're supposed to to make that saving grace shine and, and bring that forth and really try to help the team with that. And you just haven't really seen that. And he went one of six from the field for just three points overall. He had no rebounds in that second Houston game, only one assist. The whole question of what are you doing, Barnes, is that's very warranted right now. And it's a small sample size that we're pulling from here early in the season. But when we were talking about a potential starting lineup change, one of the first guys we kind of talked about, even before talking about Kevin Herter, which really ended up becoming kind of a substantial conversation later in training camp, was the fact that maybe Barnes should be coming off the bench. But then it's like, I don't know. I mean, is, can what can Barnes provide off the bench? Because that whole him being a veteran leader, maybe that shows up in the locker room, but there's a lot of instances out on the floor where you just don't see that right now. And I mean, I just, I, I don't know what's wrong with Harrison Barnes, but in terms of all the different ways that you can make an impact on the basketball floor, the big things, the little things, he has not been checking any boxes consistently, really. And that that's concerning. <laughs> I mean, like, it's like, you just gave this guy an extension, you know, you're running it back and we're seeing a baseline kind of subside a little bit in terms of performance from this team. Again, only six games in, but you know, it's like, Harry B, what are you doing? What's going on? Harry B, dude, just he does the disappearing act, you know? I mean, yeah, he's shooting 46% from three. But I mean, you take you take out that 27 point first half, and he's only scoring nine points a game. I mean, granted, he did do that. So he's averaging 13.5 right now. But even in the last five, he's averaging 9.6. Yeah. It's like, dude, 9.6? I mean, he scored three points against the Rockets the other night. I don't know, it's just Harry B, dude. And yeah, you know, coming off a fresh contract extension, three years. And and Barnes has always been like, you know, we've always, the Kings fans ever since bringing Barnes in and giving him that first contract. It's like, is this the guy? And like, I don't know. He's, he's such a back and forth guy because sometimes I'll be like, dude, get rid of Barnes. Like, I'm done with it. I'm done with it. I'm done with this guy. But sometimes I'm like, yeah, give him that extension. He deserves it. This is this is Barnes. Where would we be without him? You know? Yeah. Barnes is such an intriguing guy like that. He get, he, you always go back and forth on him because he's always going back and forth himself. I mean, he, he comes off as a dependable player, a guy who's going to be out there on a nightly basis, put in big minutes, but... And, and you want to say that most of the times he shows up. And I think last year was his best year as on the Kings, personally. Yeah. I don't think he had that many off games. But, I mean, in the past seasons before then, before Mike Brown came over, before they brought Sabonis in for a full year, he, you know, he had his disappearing acts, like I said already. I mean, a disappearing act already, though? Like, to start the season off, other than that first game? Yeah. I don't know. It's, I, it's just like, like, what are you doing? I, I just, I, I just want to know. I wish I could ask him like three points without Fox. Like what, what are you doing? Yeah. I don't know. It's just no really good defensive moments. I mean, he, depending on matchups, he will have good defensive games where he'll kind of stick with a guy. And, you know, I mean, he, you can trust him to guard some power forwards in this league pretty decently, but it's just like, in terms of being a consistent contributor as a starter, as one of the highest paid players on the team, it's not cutting it. And no, it's not again. It's like zero rebounds against the Rockets. It's just, I mean, what the, what the heck's going on? I mean, like Keegan Murray's having 
hit some issues on offense, but he's rebounding. Kevin Herter, one of the things that he really did to kind of lessen the spotlight, the negative spotlight on him, is he's been rebounding the hell out of the ball the last four or five games. Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, maybe that takes rebounds away from Barnes or whatever, but it's like you still have to contribute somewhere. And maybe we're reading too much into the second Houston game or whatever, but it's just like when things are in crisis mode, no matter how big or small that crisis is, if it's just one game or a multi-game stretch, it's like you kind of need your your veteran, high-paid, depend, quote-unquote dependable players to do something. And he didn't really do anything. So I don't know if a starting lineup change is coming soon, but I mean, I, I, I think it'd be interesting, especially if somebody else steps up. It really hurts that it's like, well, Barnes didn't have a great game, but it's like, well... Duarte hasn't looked super great in the last two, maybe even the last three. I'm not really 100% sure. And, you know, it's not like there's a guy that's like, yeah, we'd start him. Because that whole Kevin Herter conversation in training camp, Duarte was playing well, that there was really a a simple swap there. And it's just like, well, who else are you going to start other than than Barnes? I mean, Vizenkov, we were really surprised by Vizenkov, but, you know, I I don't really – see much in his shooting struggles over the last few games is being extended. He's going to hit shots and stuff like that, but we've seen some dips defensively. We've seen him. We know what the reality of him defensively is. He's not necessarily an answer to start over Barnes, you know? So I don't know. I mean, again, it just, it has to get to a point where Barnes has to figure out a way to make an impact because not making an impact is just not, that's not going to cut it at all. And I can only imagine how frustrating that is for fans to just watch, again, one of their highest paid players show up and do almost nothing. I mean, there was one one of the um, 24-second shot clock violations. He had the ball up at the top, and it, it was it was that was his shot to take. He had some space to put up a shot, but he chose to pass it, and he swung it to Davion Mitchell, who didn't have time to get a shot up. And it's just like, mentally, it just seems like he's not there either. So I don't, I don't know if I have a prescription for Barnes, but... Whatever he's doing is just not not working. And I don't know, again, if that means they got to make a change in the starting lineup or if they have to make some kind of an adjustment in minutes or what. But, yeah, that's not that's not good. No. <laughs> yeah, it is. It just feels like the playoffs again. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, I wonder if you keep Barnes in there and just try to build his trade value at this point. I mean, I like Barnes. I, I don't think Barnes was ever our first choice at the small forward i think you were kind of i think stuck is kind of a harsh word but i mean we didn't really have any other flexibility we kind of needed a guy that was going to play at least at barnes's level but a guy that wasn't going to command too much money harrison barnes right i mean that's where he kind of fit in if you can try to grab someone in a trade I, i mean harrison barnes still has value around the league i think benching him will take away some of that value Mm-hmm. And he's one of the older guys on the team, too. I'm not saying he's like a dinosaur or anything, but it's a younger team that likes to run. And I don't think Barnes is – he's not that type of player. He, he fits more into a half-court offense. I don't know. I, I, I think Monty I, – I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's already exploring options himself. Because, again, he, he's not like the greatest defender ever. I mean, yeah, like you said, he has matchups that will allow him to play good defense. But, I mean, I'd rather, I'd rather right now have a younger, longer guy. That sounds, you know, uh, <laughs> a younger, longer guy is what they need. And someone who's going to 
show up, want to show up, play with some intensity, fit this team's, you know, the 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 cores. What what do you call it? The cores group, the age. What do they call it? Yeah, the like, yeah, the the core, the the core, the core. Yeah, the core. But I feel like there's a better way to put what I'm saying right now. Uh, um, but everyone gets what I'm saying. So I don't know. Barnes just kind of always seemed like the outside looking in with the core. Just because of his age, he's that veteran and stuff. But now it's like becoming a little apparent. It's like, all right, you're a little older. Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's, am I just being mean to Barnes now? I'm just like ragging on him. Well, it's like it's it's warranted because yeah, he's shooting better than he did in the playoffs. But again, that impact just doesn't seem like it's there at all right now. And that's again, it's supposed to be one of your best players. It's one be it's supposed to be your top five best players and. It's not really playing like it. But, you know, we talked a little bit about Keegan Murray last week in his quest to expand his offensive game and whatnot. And he, I think his he, over his last three games, he's 12 of 38 from the field, which is a 31.6% field goal percentage. And he's 3 of 21 from deep, which is about 14.3% from three over the last three. And, you know, we've seen him... We saw him, you know, against Golden State play a lot against, you know, defend Steph Curry. And he did a pretty good job. Curry scored 21 points, which is Mike Brown said is about, that might have been the best job they'd ever done against Steph Curry. I think he averages over, well over 30 against the Kings. And you're seeing growth in certain areas, but you're also, you know, because he was, he would, he had, I don't remember what game it was, but the reason you brought it up last week was that, you know, his offense seemed to be dipping and I don't remember exactly what game that was. I think I have it here, but I mean, it probably gets the Warriors the first time around. I mean, there was, they'd only played three games, right? They were two and one before we talked last week. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> so I think it was against the Warriors. I mean, I just, because I was going to come in and say stuff at the first Warriors game, I should say, because I was going to come in and say stuff against the, um, because he started off kind of bad against the Lakers, too. Not bad, but just kind of like, dude, what's going on? And then he kind of picked it up at the end and turned it around. I think that was the game where Brown almost took him out, remember? Yeah. So he scored 17, 8, and 5. A good game against the Lakers in OT. But, I mean, I, I, I was. I was like, yeah, it saved him because I was going to really start trashing on him. But, I mean, uh, he, again, the Warriors game wasn't like, no, he played a lot of defense on stuff. Like, all right, you get your pass there, even though he didn't shoot the ball that well that game. The uh, what? What did he do in that first Rockets game? Seven right. points on three of twelve from the field, one of eight from three. Oh, great! Yeah. So, and then I, what did he do last night? I don't even know. I mean, well, last night was a little better. Five of eleven from the field, two of six from three for twelve points. A little more Keegan Murray esque. Yeah, a little more Keegan Murray esque. My my biggest issue with Keegan. Right now, and this is what I was going to talk trash about last week, but he saved himself. It, it's just his his shot creation. He just he just comes off as very hesitant and very passive. And like I always hate this word, but like does he got that dog in him, as they say? Um, I just it makes me question it. I mean, yeah, there was this play he had against the Rockets the other night, and he had he was working on I, I couldn't even tell you the defender but he made this good move this good step back this good step back move made space and, and, and it's like that's your shot you take that shot right there and then he just like kind of fakes a shot and then dribbles like 
to the like sideline and kind of like throws up like a weird floater and misses. And, and even Kyle Draper is like, oh, come on. Like, Keegan, you take that shot. You made the space for it. Like, why are you not taking that? And it just seems like hesitancy. And I mean, that's my biggest issue with him right now. I mean, he shoot, he shot one for eight from three. Yeah, it's annoying. Like, like he should be shooting better than that in that one Rockets game. But something you can live with because you don't expect him to shoot like that. But when you want to take this next step up and be that that number two scorer, so, you know, surpassed even Sabonis being that third all star on this team. I mean, I don't know. Just watching him hesitate on shots. You know, it's not very convincing for me. He just doesn't seem to have that shot creation. And even when he does have that shot creation, he's just not taking them. I mean, we saw him, you know, granted he was playing against summer league squads, but in summer league, he scored like 40 points in like 25 minutes. Like, where's that guy? I mean, that dude can obviously create some kind of shot. But now it's like in a real NBA game against real NBA players. He just like it's like he's shy. He kind of comes off as a shy guy in real life, you know. So it's just like, man, like you, you wish he, you could see a little more from him in the NBA because it's like you don't want that that shyness to you know extend to the court. But it, it does seem like it is a little. I, I just don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I think last week I kind of came to his defense, I guess, and I said, you know, he's still trying to adjust to all the new wrinkles that he's adding to his game and to the offense as a whole. And I still think that there's a bit of that because I think one of the things that you can kind of bank on is that decision-making and comfort with that kind of stuff will get better. But the thing I'm concerned about is even on some like DHO looks or coming around off of off ball screens, his shot is just, he's missing shots. And it, and you've heard Katie Christensen say a lot this season. Oh, it looked like Keegan was drifting on that shot. Didn't really look like he got that up with, you know, the, the form that he usually has and he's missing and he's had some like air balls here and there and some, some clunks off the rim. And I, that's the thing that I'm like, can he adjust to that? Cause I think in terms of taking the shot when it's there, I think he can get there. It, he did it last season. I think, you know, it's obviously way different this year with what his goals are and what he's worked on this off season, but you know, settling and, and taking the shots that do come to him. I think he can, he can, grasp that but in terms of actually physically putting in the effort on all ends of the floor and then hitting some of these other shots off of movement and stuff like that I don't know if he can handle the workload I mean I don't know how much of an adjustment can handle happen from there and I think especially in these last few games you know I feel like that's been really apparent and I know he went you know, five of 11 in the second Houston game, but it just felt like both those Houston games, it just felt like his offensive game looked like a guy at the end of the season, at the end of 82 games. He looked like tired and and not exactly up to par energy-wise with being able to fulfill that projection of his game. So like that's something that's really concerning to me because we have seen him play better defensively. Obviously, he had some really bad defensive moments in the two games in Houston. But it's just like he's extending himself a lot here, arguably more than anybody in terms of making a jump defensively. And he's shown strides there. But it's like, I mean, that almost embodies that whole question of is it sustainable to have such an emphasis on the defensive end and maintain a certain offensive level that is akin to last season's success on that end of the floor. And I think Keegan Murray 
individually kind of like personifies that issue because I'm not sure that he can. I mean, that it's like to be hesitant is one thing, but then to just kind of look physically unable to, to play to that, to that level in, in all sorts of different aspects. And he's rebounding more. I think he's second in rebounds on this team per game. You know, he's doing a lot of little things, but it just seems like some of the shots that were easy for him are especially harder. And that's been a topic obviously, but it's just like, man, I mean, he looks like he's wearing himself out. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I mean, his, his shot worries me. I, and I went into this season going, like, you asked me the question, who could you see taking, I, I think the question was exactly, who could you see being replaced in the starting lineup? And I, I went with Murray, because sophomore slumps are a real thing. And also a small reason to worry for Murray is that he was never, like, a great shooter. Like, I, I think he didn't really develop his jump shot until college and wasn't a great three-point shooter until his sophomore year in college. Yeah, And so I'm not saying it's not sustainable, but, I mean, it's kind of like how we talked about Davion Mitchell or Colby Jones. Like, Mitchell only had one good year shooting the three in college, and look, look, where, look where that's taken him. Granted, he didn't have the rookie season Keegan Murray did, but it's just like, all right. Like, even the shooting thing's a little new to him still. So, I mean, even these these mid rangers, these DHOs that he's taken, like it's probably kind of new to him too. Like he's probably not used to taking anything other than threes as a jump shot. Because like I, you read, I didn't watch him in at Iowa at all, but like reading about him from Iowa fans, it's like, oh yeah, he was like great in the post. Like that was where he like dominated. So uh, he probably wasn't taking a lot of mid rangers. Like yeah, he was a good three point shooter in college, but I mean. It's kind of like how it is. You know, you see those players who they take a three or take it in the paint. And that's what it sounded like the player he was in college. <clears throat> and correct me if I'm wrong. I, I don't know. It's just what I've heard on social media from Iowa fans. But, I mean, if he's taking these middies now and creating dribbles in the mid-range, like he's, you know, a three-point shot and a two-point shot, as similar as they are in form, I mean, it's different range. And it's maybe something he's going to have to adjust to, and it's a bigger adjustment than we're all thinking. Yeah, I think that's that that hits it right on the head. Is we talk about Murray's ability to adjust, and it's just like this is a different type of adjustment. Expanding your game, are you physically able to do all these different things? When, like you said, you're not necessarily like a through and through sharpshooter. I mean, he he's proof. It feels so stupid saying that because he, I mean, he hit the most threes as a rookie ever, and he was arguably the most efficient three-point shooter on the team last season. But, I mean, it's not a lockdown thing necessarily. And it's just like when you start extending yourself to all these different areas, I mean, that seems to be where he's dropping a little bit. And, I mean, again, it's it's a complete personification and great example of how adding an emphasis to all sorts of different areas can affect what were easy and makeable shots. And it's just like... After that Warriors game, he played really good defense. Ah, that one of that O of seven from the field is not going to repeat. But then he comes out and does one of eight in the next game, and then a better two of six from three in the second Houston game. But it's just like, I don't know. I mean, like, I th- he he maybe can make the adjustment in this case, but this is it's not so sure. It doesn't feel so sure, and that might be the first time we've ever said that about Keegan Murray in his NBA career. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's definitely something to note. I mean, 
I trust in Keegan Murray. It's definitely frustrating watching him right now. Um, I, I mean, I do believe in him. I, I think he has what it takes to, you know, make these adjustments. And both of our adjustments hit the mid-range, you know, not be so shy and shoot the ball when you have that open shot. But, I mean, just watching it, especially in the time of need where you're like, all right, Murray, like maybe we we're throwing like the scoring load a little too much on you right out the get-go, right out of the gate with Fox being out so early in the season. But, you know, you're an NBA player. You're getting paid $5 million to make a bucket. Like sometimes you just like, dude, come on, make yeah. the easy shots because you're hurting the team. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I would say maybe to give Murray a little bit of leeway is it's like, would this be as big of an issue if all sorts of other guys weren't struggling as well? You know, we just talked about if Harrison Barnes was providing a standard impact that was a little more consistent, would this be as big of an issue? I mean, I think it'd still be an issue, but that does come into play as well. Yeah. It is definitely something worth watching because in terms of being sure he's going to make the right adjustments, this might be a tougher task than he's ever really had to deal with. And that's saying that after having to struggle through almost four games of not hitting a single three in that Warriors series, and when he finally did, it was in garbage time. And he did make that adjustment to be a weapon in the final three games, but... I mean, this is this is a big jump in terms of the career and the grand scope of things. So definitely something to keep an eye on. There's obviously, as we've talked about, there's a ton to keep an eye on. There's a ton to ridicule and there's a ton to be a little worried about. You know, it's early in the season. This team's done a lot of things over the last year that make you not want to give up hope. Obviously, again, not only is it early, but, you know, this team is talented enough to do stuff. And they can still be a contender, but it uh, still seems a little ways off right now. And these last three games, particularly those two games in Houston, were ugly. And all you can do is ask questions at this point. <laughs> yeah, that's all you can do. I mean, definitely not. I mean, I thought we'd be talking here, be 2-1, and one, maybe even 3-0 and oh, with pulling off an upset against the Warriors after we left off last week. But here we are, 0-3. With even more questions, you know, going into next week. We return home tomorrow against Portland, or today, technically, I guess. <laughs> we So, uh, you're listening to this on the Wednesday. So, though we play the Portland tonight, hopefully being back home with the fans can help out. Friday, we play against the Thunder. And then I think we play, I don't know, I don't think we play again until Monday, really. I, I, again, there's not too many games this week. Don't they so, play Cleveland on Sunday? Do we Monday? play yeah, I think it, I think we play Monday. I don't think we play again until Monday oh, after okay. Friday. I think we have the weekend off. So I think we play Wednesday, we play tonight, we play Friday, we play Monday. So it's definitely, I mean, no back-to-backs. Not, I mean, not a ton of games fit in. I feel like sometimes we're playing like four games a week. Seems like right now it's like three. And even last week was like two. So I don't know. I guess we'll just see how it goes and... um Hopefully Fox comes back soon, and if he's not, I mean, hopefully Browns has a solution. Fox has got to come back for that Friday game. It's the first play or group stage game. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, baby. We need that. We need some kind of trophy in sack. The summer league trophies are losing their importance. If you don't win the NBA Cup, you can't win an NBA championship. Yeah. Said it here first. 
the Spurs will win it or something. Yeah. I don't know. Did they? I don't know. I, I think they play – well, tonight is the first set of games for the group stage, so we'll see how that goes. No, I think they were a couple of days ago. I think it's Tuesday and Fridays. Um, oh, then maybe Friday was the first one. Maybe. Because I, 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 they have these ugly court designs, and it was the Thunder. Because Thunder had this disgusting – I think it was the Thunder versus Warriors because the Warriors are in our group. Oh, so I yeah, think it was yeah. them. And then, like, Draymond tipped one in for the win, even though it was basket interference or something. Or, I don't know, it was pretty bad. But, um, yeah, you know, Steph, like, hit this shot. with They were down by one. Like, with .2 seconds left, Steph hit this layup to win it, but Draymond grabbed the rim. And they originally called it basket interference, and then they reviewed it and called it not basket interference, even though Draymond touched the rim. So okay. it was like this big. It was this big ordeal, but basically that was a playing game. So if you look at the playing courts, yeah, or sorry, not playing. I'm calling them playing. It's I know group, it's like a group stage game, I guess. Yeah, I don't even know what it's called. I was calling um, it as well. The group stage. We'll call it group stage. They have these like courts that. Have you not seen the courts? No, are they just like okay? Look, decorated. They're like, so the NBA Cup trophy looks, just look it up. Cause they had, it's like, it looks like something. <laughs> it looks like a trophy. So they're trying to make like the, um, the key. Oh, yeah. They, I see these. They, they try to make it look like that trophy. And like the Thunder Court's like just completely. It, it looks blue. like, you know what it looks like almost? It looks like an inverted version of the old European key, right? I have no idea because well, of the painting on it. I don't know. But one of the things is that whole, I didn't know about that Draymond basket interference, not getting called. So the Warriors won that game. Yeah. They won the first playing game. Or well, I wonder this whole NBA cup thing, trying to compete with NFL ratings and perhaps gain a global audience. I wonder if uh, having the Warriors win a game and be a contender in that cup has anything to yeah, do with that. That's, that's very true. I'm sure that the Warriors, the Warriors have a lot more pull in terms of audience than the Thunder could ever dream of having. Yeah. So that's 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 interesting. It is interesting. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. But yeah, now you know. But all right. I mean, that's all I got today, John. You got anything else? No, I think that that covers most of it. I mean, what changes can be done? I mean, is the the goal of Mike Brown sustainable? I'd want to know people's thoughts. It's, there's a lot of questions to be had here that I, I don't think the answers are immediately available, but they are important questions to ask nonetheless. Yeah. I mean, like once we talk next week, I mean, like we like between our break between last week and now there's three games played. We're on three. Next time we talk, there'll be another three games played Portland, Cleveland or Portland Thunder, Cleveland. If that's who they play on Monday, I don't know, but I'm taking your word for it, John. Oh, that's who they play, baby. Yeah. Okay. So another three games. Hopefully, when we talk next Wednesday, Tuesday, whatever day we talk, hopefully they're three and up, or at least not zero and three. There's only going up from here, right? <laughs> by, the, by the week by week for us. So uh, we'll see if any of those uh, issues have been addressed by Brown and see if any solutions have been made. But again, it all starts tonight in Portland. Back home, we'll see if Fox returns soon. But I mean, that's it, and that's it from you, John. Just want to thank everyone for tuning in. And as always, until next time, have a good one.